The Innocence Project gives a conservative estimate that there are over 20,000 innocent people currently locked away in U.S. prisons, convicted of crimes they did not commit. Unjust and Unsolved, a new true crime podcast from investigative journalist Maggie Freeling and the Obsessed Network, tells the stories of these people and these crimes. Maggie began the project by sending letters to people in prison whose stories haunted her, and she heard back from nearly all of them. They all wanted their stories to be heard. Each episode focuses on a single case. The stories are told through original interviews with the convicted person, their loved ones, lawyers, and advocates. Maggie examines the crimes, sharing all the evidence pointing away from the convicted person, and, in some instances, presenting the case for other suspects. Unjust and Unsolved is a compelling mix of investigative journalism and true crime storytelling. Find Unjust and Unsolved in all Obsessed Network podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Software Lifecycle Stories podcast. We bring you stories of what worked and sometimes what did not in the course of discovering, designing, developing, delivering and using software-based solutions as shared by practitioners who went through these situations. In this conversation, Chitra, my colleague and co-host, shares her experiences related to what she learned developing mission-critical systems, how playing basketball helped her appreciate goal-focused teamwork approaches, and helping other women making their voices heard listen on. Hi, Chitra. Welcome to this episode. As a guest, you've also been interviewing me. All that happened. So this time, it's your turn to be the guest. Thank you, Shiv. It's a pleasure to be uh, a guest on this show. And like we normally do, uh, we'll start with the guest introducing a self-introduction. Okay, so uh, I've been in the technology industry for about 21 years. And, uh, uh, you know, my first exposure was uh, in the space field of avionics. So I started my career as an avionics engineer. And I formally learned my first programming language, and that was ADA. Uh, this was part of, you know, mission critical system that we were developing for uh, Airbus at that point in time. So after that, I joined a product company and uh, uh, got my first exposure to file systems and operating systems and uh, worked extensively on the TCP IP stack and also understood a lot about firewalls as well as uh, identity management. And uh, after that, I joined a large data storage company. So in some sense, uh, I think my career has been around a lot of uh, infrastructure development. And uh, for about 10 years, I was uh, with that organization in various roles. I started life as a developer. And then I was part of a system test engineering group. And then I moved into management, engineering management, and later on became uh, took on a senior role in uh, in, a, in this last engineering organization that I worked with. I've also been an active sports person. I played basketball for about 14 years uh, of my life. So that's had a very uh, interesting influence in the way I've done things. And yeah, so after I uh, was employed, I uh, 
decided to start exploring you know other things to do in life and uh, then worked for some time as a data analytics consultant and uh, after that i did some work with uh, you know two friends in the space of uh, product management consulting and digital transformation uh, before i was associated with the pm power consulting so that is a is a short uh, introduction about myself shiv yeah that's a very nice chitra so based on this i have a lot of questions we'll see how much we can squeeze into this episode okay so the first is uh, from working in mission critical applications when you took on a testing role did you find anything different in terms of how you were approaching it compared to let's say the other testers i don't uh, i don't think i can compare myself with uh, how other testers were approaching it but what i found uh, uh, i would say easy in the transition was the attention to detail and thoroughness so uh, for example as a mission critical developer you know there are a very fixed set of guidelines that you follow while writing code you know for example one of them is you cannot have more than one if loop in a particular function uh, because we all know what happens when there are uh, you know several if loops it adds to the complexity of a program uh, and also you know when you pay attention to things like return values or uh, you know how uh, decimals are handled by a system uh, these were some of the points that i could carry with me when i made the transition from a development engineer sorry a developer to a, a systems test engineer so in some sense that was helpful to get started with and uh, you know as a systems test engineer you actually need to look at the entire system so i think one change that i saw myself uh you know transitioning from a developer to uh looking at an entire system was also getting an outside view in versus an inside view out um and it in some sense it was a lot more challenging because uh, as a systems engineer you actually have to look at several components working together either with a high degree of compatibility and interoperability so that your entire system is functioning the way it should and also moving into systems engineering i think some similarities that i can see between mission critical systems and system test engineering is uh, they all you know sort of have to guarantee a certain reliability and performance over a period of time that the system is live so for example in an aircraft you know you're working on a single component like uh, one of the components uh, that i was working on was a differential gps based landing system and it was so important to understand that because uh, when pilot makes it sound very complex <laughs> i said even the name differential gps landing system makes it sound very complex <laughs> okay so uh, to put it very simply uh, when a pilot is landing an aircraft right in real time the uh, system has to give the pilot uh, real time information about uh, the position of the aircraft relative to the landing strip uh, 
Uh, and this means uh, knowing the position of the aircraft as it's coming into land by uh, constantly, you know, there are three parameters changing, latitude, longitude, and altitude, or height from the ground. This system was actually being developed to give that pilot a constant feed so that the pilot understands where the plane is relative to the landing strip. You know, also having that perspective of how a user is going to consume the system was helpful while designing it and uh, developing it rather. So uh, I, I think when uh, that was something that I was able to take away uh, when I transitioned into the role of a system test engineer is, you know, how does what we are building matter eventually to the user who's going to use it? Mm, interesting. Getting the actual user perspective and the empathy for the user. Uh, that's something that um, we've been noticing many of the guests on the podcast also have been saying that to be successful in terms of whatever you create, it's not only the technology, but also understanding the users. The other question that comes to my mind is um, you're mentioning that now you were a basketball player. In basketball, by the way, uh, Phil Jackson is one of my favorites. And I use <laughs> some of the principles that he has in the book called Eleven Rings, where uh, he talks about uh, the teaming and some of the MVPs who are also very highly individualistic kind of players. Okay. So you have done a lot of those things in terms of you played basketball, and you've also been in the management positions, senior management positions and all that. So was there something that uh, you learned from basketball that uh, helped you in managing some of these high performance or maybe sometimes the high maintenance individual contributors when you needed to deliver something as complex as you know, file systems or operating systems uh, as a team? Uh, yeah, this is a really good question, Shiv. And uh, actually, I was just thinking about this context uh, as you were talking. It's probably the first time somebody has uh, asked me this question. And uh, uh, I can actually sense a lot of responses you know, coming to my mind. Uh, so let me start with, uh, yeah, Phil Jackson. I think uh, when I started Seeing Phil Jackson, it was a point in time where uh, NBA matches used to uh, be telecast uh, at some really strange hour of the night uh, in our time zone. So we used to actually record the matches on a VCR and watch them later. But one thing that I remember vividly is the fact that, uh, you know, this person actually was encouraging everybody in the Chicago Bulls team to play. And I think that was a hard thing. For him to do, given that uh, uh, you know they had a star player all along in Michael Jordan, mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of star power is hard to contend with. But what you could really see through is the whole team coming together, and I think that uh, playing basketball helped me realize that very early on. You know, there are no heroes or heroines uh, in the game, and it's a team sport. So uh, there are times when, you know, in the middle of, a of the game, for some reason, the opposition begins to get a little more aggressive. And, you know, you're losing your rhythm, you're losing your footing. Uh, what it takes for the team to get back then is actually, you know, begin to slowly recoup as a team. 
don't see the scoreboard don't pay attention to the time but slowly find your rhythm and all it takes is you know maybe two consecutive shots for you to know that you are back in the game and you can feel that on the court uh, especially in that kind of a sport where it happens so fast so similarly in uh, uh, i mean working in the tech industry i think you're always working with extremely smart and brilliant people and sometimes it's very hard for uh, you know that kind of brilliance to understand uh, teamwork and sort of gel with it so uh, you know i uh, some of the instances are, i would try to use while uh, having conversations with people if they sort of like i would have i could have uh, you know very very smart architects or senior engineers just wanting to go off and build an entire portion of the system all by themselves or oh, leave it to me I'll, i'll just do it end to end and uh, you know even getting them to be part of reading a code or doing code reviews and helping others in the team uh come up to speed or gain that knowledge or discuss a design approach or a you know bug fix approach uh, that was more important to me that the whole team uh, understand that and uh, therefore everybody should be able to equally contribute to what's happening so i would you know use these instances from games and luckily i think most of the people here one good thing is they follow cricket and they definitely understand that you know india as a team always does better when every person in their team sort of plays their part and the whole team gels together for whatever little i know of cricket i'm able to see that so although i couldn't use basketball as an analogy i think using the the ethos of a team sport uh was very helpful in in managing these uh, scientific and engineering temperaments in a team i guess yeah many of those people skills are transferable and as we talk more and more about you know, agile and teams being empowered playing sport probably helps a lot in making the teams more productive yes uh, in fact there's uh, one thing which comes to my mind i uh, actually started my sporting career as a tennis player Oh and uh, yeah so very soon i realized that i sort of didn't like being all by myself alone on the court although i have always enjoyed the physical drills of uh, you know keeping fit and running training and exercises somehow when the the nice part of the tennis coaching was when you're doing all the drills together with the other kids uh, but when you're on the court you're pretty much all alone and uh, i found myself liking to play you know doubles matches with people and moving away from singles so when i stepped onto a basketball court i think that's the first thing that i felt that yes i have you know there are people around me and we all play together so uh, that is something that i've also seen in my career that i've always enjoyed working with people uh, and i strongly believe in the collective power of solving a problem and uh, diversified thinking coming to the table uh, it's a philosophy that's i you know beginning to realize that's carried me through my career mm, wonderful actually one of the you know problems or uh, areas that i have been uh, thinking about for a very long time and i think many organizations also face this is that uh, we try to recruit very smart students now who because of the way the academics are designed are pushed to perform individually excel individually but when they come into the corporate world they need to work as a team 
So yeah. maybe whatever went through in you know, your own transformation could show some pointers in terms of you know, how we could probably help corporates with that. Absolutely. In fact, uh, this is something that I've actually uh, practiced and done quite often. I still remember when uh, about 10 years ago, when uh, I had to actually set up an engineering team from scratch, uh, I was just uh, you know, given a bunch of resumes and uh, every name and college on that resume was a you know, tier one category institution. And at the back of my mind, I knew that it was going to be hard because, uh, you know, like you said, people from such institutions, because the focus is on the individual and there is a lot of uh, importance given to your ranking and standing, uh, also bring a certain mindset to the workplace, uh, which may not really fit in um, the kind of environment that I was working in. I mean, it may be applicable Uh, for let's say if somebody is looking for a breakthrough or an innovation kind of a mindset, but uh, you know, where it's more of uh, uh, again, looking in the context of a customer issue, right? Uh, If I can take an example here, there is typically, you know, in the financial industry, uh, which I also feel is a mission critical industry because they are serving millions and millions of customers and there are millions more transactions going on in the backend to support those interactions for customers. The team supporting such a customer also needs to work as a team and not really individuals. So while recruiting also, uh, I began to notice this. And uh, luckily for me, there were some peers along with me who also noticed that it was actually hard to hire such people because they were always looking for the next coolest thing to work on or what's in it for me which is not a bad thing, but that seemed to be predominant in the interviews. So we actually went up with a suggestion to, uh, you know, senior management at that point in time, as well as the staffing department and said, why don't we look at, you know, the local talent we have rather than, you know, going after only tier one colleges. And uh, at that point in time, and even today, you know, they, uh, tier one colleges have the concept of day one. I mean, if you're not day one on their campus, then apparently you don't get the best pick. So I was always in my mind that, you know, why can't we give open up an opportunity to everybody and actually look for temperament and attitude along with uh, technical skill, look for slightly more uh, well-rounded individuals or Uh, individuals that could bring in very different perspectives to solve a problem uh, rather than only focus on, you know, skill or how smart they were at cracking an algorithm. So that I found brought in a lot of diversity to the teams uh, that I, uh, you know, was setting up or I worked with. And uh, the discussions became a lot more interesting. You know, and this also sort of helps to balance out, you know, people who come from, I'm not saying that people who come from all tier one organizations are like this, uh, but I would look at it more in the context of, you know, adding diversity to the thinking and uh, addressing the problems that we have on hand. So, uh, yeah, so I think talent can come from anywhere. And uh, the question is, what is it that, uh, you know, companies need to do while looking for that talent? Uh, I would say, look at all dimensions, right? When you're in an interview, try and find out as much as you can about the person 
you know, apart from only what they have uh, done in terms of their work. And I think that makes for uh, hiring, uh, you know, a better hire in my experience. Nice. That also, I think, gives me an idea of how we can segue into the next theme uh, that we can spend the next few minutes over, which is um, you know, women in IT. You mentioned a few things. You did mention diversity, and you also mentioned about the well-rounded personalities that are needed. And by nature, as well as probably their aptitude, um, in general, women are able to balance a lot of things at work, at home, you know, their professional commitments, personal commitments, all that. And probably something like the operating system that you worked on, which does multi-threading, multitasking, and everything else, being able to you know, spin all these around and manage well. Now, what has been your experience in terms of either the work-life balance or how some of these things kind of been coming together? <laughs> okay. It's, an, it's interesting that you put, uh, you know, a spin-off, uh, an operating system. And now I'm thinking, yeah, actually, it's, I guess for everybody, it's just like that. Uh, you know, there are multiple threads running. But if, if you realize that it's, it's always a good practice to ensure that, you know, a thread completes and doesn't, you know, go into a zombie state or just hang there, which is what we'll end up seeing a lot of the time. Uh, but for me, I guess uh, uh, one thing is, uh, you know, I, I, I think I've grown up in a family where uh, I always saw women around me working, as in my immediate close relatives, uh, my mother, my grandmother, uh, my aunt. I saw all of them sort of very seamlessly doing it. So to me, it never occurred that uh, I couldn't do it. Uh, and uh, eventually when, you know, I started my career and, uh, you know, uh, got married, had a family, set up home, you know, while you were just adding a lot of things on the plate, uh, things seemed to set into a rhythm. At this point, actually, I, I can just get one thought in my mind now is uh, very often the question that people ask me, and this is a question my children also ask me today is, so how did you play basketball and study? I think uh, I wanted to do both. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it meant waking up at an hour extra early in the morning. You know, I had to be up at 5 a.m., practice for about an hour, get ready, go to school or college, uh, come back, uh, hit the courts again, finish your practice, come back, you know, do homework, eat your dinner and go to bed. So uh, some of the things people may, you know, say that, did you have time for friends? Did you watch a lot of TV and stuff like that? I said, not much, but when I look, back in retrospect I don't think I missed them because my day was full and I think that's what I also experience when I am you know engaged with work and when I'm at home so it could be you know maybe I enjoy having people around in both places so uh, what I also realize is when I'm doing things for others I think I uh, my mind is engaged and I don't stop to consider it as a balance. Yes, there are some definitely, uh, you know, stress points and pressure points where uh, there are times when you feel that, uh, you know, everything is piling up at your head. And I think it's important to recognize those points, you know, take a step back, take all the help you can get. You know, it's, it's absolutely not wrong to ask for help. And, uh, you know, things will pass. 
So I guess this is how, uh, you know, I've been looking at it. And uh, yes, sometimes it's a, it's a, a decision that you take at that point in time. Uh, and I feel uh, the important thing is not to go back and feel guilty or regret something that you didn't do. Uh, this is easier said than done uh, because uh, there are times even today when I, you know, go back and I feel I, I'm either letting somebody down or because I couldn't complete something. Uh, but I think the important thing is, yeah, take a step back. It's okay. Sometimes too many things come your way and you can't manage it. Uh, you know, recoup and also uh, learn to be kind to yourself and accept that we are all human beings and then go back and, uh, you know, give the best you can. Oh, great thoughts. The last question, probably leading into many more episodes to follow, is that uh, I don't know if it was coincidental or uh, it was meant to be that way that you said you started your career with uh, Ada. Okay. And, uh, Ada Lovelace was being considered as the first programmer. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, where you've been doing a lot in terms of uh, the community of women in IT. And uh, this idea that uh, the next few episodes we should focus on women in IT around Women's Day. Would you like to share some thoughts around it for our listeners? Yeah, uh, definitely. So very often uh, in the course of my work, I began coming across instances where many women engineers were sharing that in the course of uh, meetings, uh, team meetings where solutions to problems were being discussed, very often they'd have a solution in their mind, uh, but never spoke up. Or if they did, uh, the solution wasn't really accepted. So I began to uh, encourage them to actually interrupt when it was appropriate and actually speak up for the solution and see how that went. So many women thereafter came back and said it actually worked. And um, there were other times when uh, you know people started coming up to share some uh, issues related to work as well as personal things and how. Uh, and asking for help on how these could be addressed in the in the work environment. So I found myself uh, volunteering time towards mentoring them or, you know, being a, a sounding board for some of their issues so that, you know, they could discuss freely without being judged or biased. Uh, another space that I found as an opportunity to help women in tech was a platform for women in tech organized by uh, through an international conference. Uh, and that became a very fantastic networking platform for women to come and talk about the technology that they were working in uh, through workshops, through presentations. Uh, I remember this one time, we actually proposed the idea of uh, women across product companies coming and demonstrating their product capabilities through a lab session, which became a dedicated part of the conference. Through one of such sessions, uh, I remember that uh, the company that I was then working with, we actually put up an entire rack of equipment uh, demonstrating the capability of our hardware and software. And this was very well appreciated by the CTO of the company because it was something that it had never been done before. And the entire thing was uh, crafted and put together by the women engineers in the company. So uh, this for me has been a way of giving back to the community 
uh, and I continue to look for opportunities to do so. And now I also see that it can be extended across industries. It doesn't have to only be the software or the technology industry at all. Mm, that's good. So in the next few episodes, I'm hoping that our guests will also feel safe to share things that would be useful for the community. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Chitra. Thank you, Shiv. Um, yeah, it was being, a great conversation. Thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah. And being a co-host, I'm sure we'll have more such conversations in the future. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. That is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. The Innocence Project gives a conservative estimate that there are over 20,000 innocent people currently locked away in U.S. prisons, convicted of crimes they did not commit. Unjust and Unsolved, a new true crime podcast from investigative journalist Maggie Freeling and the Obsessed Network, tells the stories of these people and these crimes. Maggie began the project by sending letters to people in prison whose stories haunted her, and she heard back from nearly all of them. They all wanted their stories to be heard. Each episode focuses on a single case. The stories are told through original interviews with the convicted person, their loved ones, lawyers, and advocates. Maggie examines the crimes, sharing all the evidence pointing away from the convicted person, and, in some instances, presenting the case for other suspects. Unjust and Unsolved is a compelling mix of investigative journalism and true crime storytelling. Find Unjust and Unsolved in all Obsessed Network podcasts wherever you get your podcasts.